The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We want to return. Uh, to uh, this independent review of Ireland's Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, CAMS, uh, that was carried out that uh, found severe failings in different parts of the system, chief amongst them the fact that the state could not uh, give assurances uh, that children can access care in a safe manner. Uh, We heard from John Farley of the Mental Health Commission a little bit earlier. Uh, Fiona Coyle, CEO of Mental Health Reform, is with me in studio. Fiona, you're welcome to the show. So I know you've been pouring through this report uh, as well. What stands out for you in it? What's your reaction to it? Yeah, it's it's a there's a huge amount in the report and I think, you know, as as you said there, I think the stark takeaway is to hear the inspector say that she can't stand over and guarantee that people in Ireland, families and young people will have access to safe, safe effective and evidence-based services. And I think that's a serious indictment of our CAM services. You know, it shows inconsistencies of the quality of care across the country. So where you live will dictate what the quality of the services are. Um, it's quite alarming to read that, you know, some CAMS teams are, are neglecting to follow up when children are using antipsychotic medication. There's serious lack of follow up. Um, there's there's a lot in it. And I I think, you know, it, it really puts CAMS and youth mental health and children's mental health in the spotlight. And we really need to see leadership, commitment action on this like this has to be a watershed moment Mm. you know there's no going back from this report it is it really sets everything out there and and the the import of this report is that it all sets this out in one area is it because elements of this won't come as a surprise to lots of people you know we've talked about it on this show and i've spoken to people who've gone through the system and had awful experiences in, in trying to access uh, care, but I guess maybe up until now, a lot of that was anecdotal. The, the state can't turn around now and 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 claim to, that the system works, can they? No, they can't, and they, they 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 acknowledge that it's not working and it's not working for a huge number of people. You know, th- this report by the Mental Health Commission, the findings were so grave that they actually came out with an interim report in January. So you know that the state is very aware that this was coming, and they had had time to react, and they have have put some measures in place but you know I think one of the the pieces that we as mental health reform have been calling for 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 the last number of years is the reinstatement of a director of mental health in the HSE. Mm. This is one of the recommendations that's come out clear in this report as well. Unless you have a senior level director in the HSE reporting indirectly to Bernard Gloucester, the CEO, to drive forward that change, that accountability, who's going to take forward these recommendations? If we are serious about driving forward our response to child mm. and adolescent mental health, we need to show that in the leadership that we put in place. It's interesting. John Farley from the Mental Health Commission making a similar point earlier that, you know, that there is no one person in charge. There's not the, there is not a, 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 an identifiable person that you can go to with all of these complaints. It kind of has echoes of that old Kissinger saying, who do I call when I need to speak to Europe? Um, listen, stay where you are, Fiona, because I'm conscious that, you know, this is one of those areas where you can fall into the trap of talking about people and not to people. And I want to introduce uh, Megan O'Rourke. And Megan, you're very welcome back to the show and it is good to talk to you again. Um, 
Can you remind me and remind our listeners when you came onto the CAMS radar and when your interaction with them started? Um, so I was just 13 years of age. Um, I had started struggling with anxiety and I was kind of going in and out of depression. So my doctor referred me to the CAMS service um, and that's where I began. And when your doctor first referred you can you remember now how long you were waiting before you saw a specialist or, or, or w- w- what happened once that referral kicked um, in? I was initially told that it was a two-year waiting list. At the time, like my mum and dad knew there was no way I was waiting two years. I mean, I was their baby girl and I was sick. I needed to be seen. I remember we went in and we were told, look, there was nothing that we could do or anything. I just had to sit and wait. Um so my dad, um, he's a postman, so he was out um, and he got the local TDs and all involved um, and got them on it. And I thankfully only had to wait three months. But at that, three months was way too long for me to be waiting. Yeah, but still, you, you were 13 years old. Your problems were acute enough that your doctor said you got to see a specialist. And you were told you're, you're going to see one when you're 15. And the only reason you saw one sooner is because your dad had to enlist the help of TDs to do it. Yeah, I mean, I was self-harming and everything. At the age. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, it is kind of a blur to me at this stage. I'd have to ask my mum and dad what I was like. But I was I was in a cute state. Like, What was the service like then once you got into it, once you were in the system and you saw someone after three months? I, what happened was you went in, your blood pressure was took, your height was took, your weight was took. They asked you a few questions and um, put you on medication and said, I'll see you again in three months' time. So we came back in three months' time and it was the same thing all over again and a new doctor. And then you were told to come back in six months' time and the whole thing would be done again. And did you ever feel at any point in all of that that anybody was listening to you and talking to you about what was actually wrong? No, that was the frustrating thing for me I hated going I said to my mum and dad I go in I have to re-explain myself all the time I mean they have a book in front of them full of my notes but to me I always felt like a number I wasn't a person and when you're sick and especially with something as complex as mental health I mean you're not to be put aside as a number you're a person they just never listened you had to re-explain yourself every time and just the help wasn't there. You, you you mentioned you were self-harming. I mean, were you given any advice, were your parents given any advice as to what to do if there was some sort of emergency, some acute mental health emergency? You really needed to see someone. I mean, is um, there is there an out-of-hours number you were told you could ring? What was the advice? No, my mum and dad were just told to bring me straight down to any. Just go to, your, your child is having an acute mental health episode, just go down to the emergency department. Yeah. And sit in a waiting room, I take it. I mean, you're probably not that surprised then, Megan, unfortunately, with the news today about all these failings. No, not one bit. In the system. It's disgraceful. I mean, I'm only one story. There was loads of boys and girls going in and out them doors. And there still is. And that's the sad part, because they're not being listened to. Did it have an impact on you long lasting? I know you're you're beyond the age of CAMS now. (laughs) You were kind yeah. of moved on to adult services. I mean, 
what was the legacy of, of, of all of that for you? Um, well, when I was 18, they referred me to Karen House, which is like the adult version of them. And um, in my opinion, it's the exact same thing. Here's tablets, see you in six months. Um, I'm actually no longer in the system. I took myself out of it because um, I'm thankful and lucky enough to be able to get private support. Um, but it does take a toll on you. And I do believe, and I've been told by people I'm seeing at the minute, that if someone listened to me when I was younger and sat down and explained what was wrong, I never would have gotten as sick as I did. That, I, that, that must be frustrating for you to hear that, is it? It is. I mean, it's horrible to know that I didn't have to go through all that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to struggle for the rest of my life, and I'm well aware of that. But I wouldn't have got as sick if someone took the time of day to sit down, explain to me what was going on, and actually care. And Megan, before I let you go, how are you now? I'm grand now. Not a bother on me. <laughs> good. Well, listen, that's good to hear, uh, at least. And long may it continue. Thanks a million for speaking to us. No problem. Thank you. Uh, Fiona Coyle is still with me from Mental Health Reform, the CEO there uh, in studio. Fiona, how typical is Megan's experience? I think, as, as is shown in the report, it is unfortunately um, very typical. The system is failing our children and young people in their hour of need. And a very important point that Megan raised is that question of early intervention. So the report today looks at very specialised service, which are CAMs, which are for young people who are in a very difficult place with their with their mental health. But early intervention, prevention, we need to look at all of that when we're looking at children and young people, mental health. Mental health reform, we're an umbrella organisation, so we represent over 80 organisations. Many of our members are in communities across the country delivering services on very little funding. And I think the funding question is a huge one that needs to be asked of government. We're a wealthy country. We have lots of money. Why are we not investing it? You know, in our kind of pre-budget work as mental health reform, we're saying to the government, the community and voluntary sector who are delivering these services, Mm. they need more funding because we can help people before their mental health difficulties escalate. We need to help people when they need it, yeah. not wait until they're in crisis. Well, as Megan said, she, she's kind of come through the system and then ended up in adult services. Uh, Hannah is from Families for the Reform of uh, CAMS. Uh, and Hannah comes at this from, from the point of view of a parent. Um, Hannah, you're very, very welcome to the show as well. Um, uh, briefly, and if you don't mind, can you tell us about your own, your family experience of CAMS? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Um so I have a 12-year-old daughter at the moment who's currently with CAMS um, and she joined CAMS about 18 months ago. Um, and I suppose the experience of being on the waiting list when you're in an, an emergency or crisis time in your life um, and there being no help elsewhere um, was very traumatic for us. Um, we ended up having to go to the emergency department and they discharged us with an emergency appointment for CAMS. Um, and that was the only way we could get in. Um, I was making weekly phone calls at the time um, and was two cams kind of seeing where my daughter was on the wait list um, because week on week she would deteriorate. And I think um, when you talk about waiting lists, you really have to kind of consider what happens during that time frame. And it is a severe deterioration in a lot of cases. Um, and 
Um, the emergency department was the only route we could go in the end. There were just too many urgent cases ahead of my daughter um, until she became urgent herself. Um, so we then um, were accepted into CAMS um, after going to the hospital. Um, and it's been, it has been a difficult experience. And I suppose, first of all, to say we're never, our group, we're never saying anything about, about the staff working in CAMS. They're so under-resourced and they're really trying to do their best. Um, but there just isn't the staff there. Mm. Um, and the, the lack of support is really clear. Like it is very much you get offered medication and really very little other support. Um, and Hannah, is and that is that the, the yeah. big ask then from families for the reform of CAMS is increased staffing? Yeah, so we're definitely looking for increased staffing, increased different types of support. So it's not just medication. Uh, and also, I suppose um, the report itself highlighted the lack of admin staff, like a lot of the services are operating at 50% um, of the recommended levels for admin staff. And that means clinical staff time has been taken up doing admin work. Um, we're also looking for some really basic reforms that don't require much resources, but I suppose you might need more staff to implement them just around greater um, communication and information provision. There's very little contact um, once you're on CAMS. Mm. Um, they don't have an email system it's very hard to get them on the phone. And if you have an emergency, you know, you, you are screwed, to be honest. So we got into a lot of letter writing. That's how we got support from my daughter was endless letter writing, which when you're already dealing with a lot at home was just an added uh, kind of burden on top of what you're already yeah. dealing with. I know. It's, um, it, you shouldn't have to do it. You shouldn't have to go to an emergency department to get an appointment. And, and Megan shouldn't have to uh, relied on her dad as the local postman to be roping yeah, in TDs to, exactly. to get an appointment as well. Fiona, um, uh, is your hope today then that that this proves to be an inflection point, that we look back and we say, you know what, the system works and it started to work with this report? It needs to be that point. Um, and and if it's if it's not, you know, I I you know I, I despair for 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 the future generations for our own children who grow up. We know that after the pandemic, the needs have gone up. Um, but this this has to be the moment. You know, the the Tisha, the Tanish, they have said in the upcoming budget that chil- children poverty and well being is front and center. There's a children's poverty unit set up in the Tisha's office. This needs to be a core, core focus of what they do. This needs to go to the Mm. highest level of government because without it, you know, there's no point in tinkering around the the edges of this. We need to go in and we need to reform the system and we need to listen to those children and those families, listen to their experiences as we've heard today because, you know, their experiences needs to change. Fiona Coyle, CEO of Mental Health Reform. Hannah, who's from Families for the Reform of CAMS. We heard from Megan O'Rourke as well, who has been through the system. Thank you all very much for joining me. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.